This is Jordan E. White here on Waxwork.com with Cast and Wax, the only official podcast of Waxwork.com. Amazing that you should hear it here on Waxwork.com or your portable listening device where you downloaded it from Waxwork.com and took it to where you are, presumably. I guess you could bootleg it somewhere, but I don't know what the point is. It's free, so here you are. Uh, point is, hey, how you doing? Hopefully good. I am, as I said, Jordan D. White, and I am here with my three other co-hosts. Let me introduce them. Uh, first of all, here next to me is Mr. Frank Allen. Hello there, uh, Jordan, and hello listeners. I am Frank Allen. As he said, I am a radio host who is now... Now, uh, originally I was focused mostly on debates, which you hear evidence of in the show. However, now I'm kind of shifting my focus a little to be an interviewer slash investigative journalist. So to speak. No, I'm not so to speak. Actual. Actual. Okay. Why are you, you shouldn't say it like that. I, I am. But I think he's saying it like that because you've had a few um, of these so-called investigative interviews and very little of it is actually investigative and it's it's much more like guessing or, you know, not very journalistic. You, 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 you did one where you accused someone of murder but you proved nothing. You did one where you proved that someone was a troll, but that's nonsense, so obviously it's not true. You did one where you got free crackers, and I hate you, but that's that's not really investigative journalism. Well, no, it is, because those are, again, all three of those things are things you didn't know. Nobody knew that Lynn was a killer. I don't think Lynn is a killer. She probably didn't kill that guy. I don't even know that guy. No, she did. I mean, I really think she did. She thinks you did. No, she doesn't really think that. She was just saying that to, to, to dissuade people to make it, and it's working. No, no. And, and I don't know, is a troll? Troll. I, uh, you, uh, the troll thing, you know. Well, this okay, fine. Look, what, say what you want about it, but this time I've done some actual investigating, and I've I've talked to people, found out lots of facts. So I find that hard to believe. Oh, let me introduce you. This is a uh, historian, Rory Sinjin. Yes, that is I, extra historian Rory Sinjin. Um, I hope that uh, everything is going well with everyone. I feel much better this week uh, than I did last week. Really? Why? What's that? What's up? Well, first of all, no one 
anyone is ruining my plans deliberately this week, uh, like you did by thwarting my product placement idea. Well, again, it's my podcast and you didn't consult me. No, no, I understand. I understand. And I'm sorry that it didn't work out that way. But like I said, I'm feeling good because as I, I announced last week, I was starting a new part to my business. In addition to doing extra historical readings, I'm now uh, making myself available as an expert witness for trials. And I have my first client. Oh, wonderful. Uh, who's that? No, I couldn't. Again, I can't say who my clients are, of course, because, well, first of all, it's their privacy. And second of all, it could affect, you know, jury pool out there. And it could be, you know, something like that. Right. Of course. No, that that's fine. That's like if you were a lawyer, you couldn't discuss anything. Exactly. Exactly correct. But but I feel good about it because, like I said, first client and I'm open for, for the more business. As you know, castandwax at gmail.com. You can get in touch with me. Uh, you can get in touch with any of these gentlemen, but especially me. So you can hire me. Uh, yeah. I mean, again, it's it's more there so people can comment on the podcast and send us reader mail. But, you know, if you want to get in touch with Rory. Yes. No, please, please. Actually, speaking of the reader mail, um, our final host is my cat, Scape. Hello, everyone. Yes, it is I, Scape. Um, and like I said, that I was reminded of that because of the reader mail, because people were asking why, if I have two cats, only one of them comes on the show. I have a cat named Boo, and she wrote in to last week's episode, but she didn't appear. So I got email from uh, Tommy in Salt Lake and Ellen in uh, Michigan, who all were asking about it, a couple other people as well, who were asking why she wasn't on. And the reason is that she... Is Rame! No, Scape. Not because she's lame. Because she's shy. A.K.A. A.K.A. What? What? You don't even know what that means. It means she's lame. That's not what A.K.A. means. Well, yeah. It's like you're saying one thing and she's lame. So A.K.A. What is it? Do you know what A.K.A. stands for? A.K.A. It stands for she's lame. No, Scape. That's not what it means. Also known as. That's how you spell it. Also known as. Well, I mean, kind of, you know, in a sense. But no, I mean, it means also known as. But so your insult still works because you're saying shy, also known as lame. Yeah. No, but that's not that's not the same thing. If I'm like, well, you, the reason I don't go out naked is because I'm shy. It's not also because I'm lame. Well, I'm naked. You're a cat. It's different. Yes, there's laws. There's laws about these things. I would know. No, why would you know? I, I'm the investigative journalist here. You you don't know. I mean, you don't know much about the law, as we'll learn later in the show. Guys, speaking of the show, let me tell everybody what this show is. If you don't know Cast and Wax, if you've never heard it before, we, we do a show where we have radio serials. Some of them are continuing adventure serials. Some of them are uh, debate serials. This week, we've got three shows. We've got Like Mother, Debatatorium, and Epic Echo. We should probably get right into them because we do have a jam-packed show, lots of stuff, especially with Frank's investigative journalism going on. <laughs> of course. No, it, there is. But as I was saying, we should get into the actual show. The very first thing we're going to be hearing tonight is Like Mother, uh, episode six. It's called Shock and Awe and Amazement. This is a show in which Pandora Darling has discovered that her mother has been killing people for some time. Her mother says that they're part of a conspiracy called Cask. Pandora is not so sure. In the most recent episode, she finally got up the nerve to run away from home. She had bought herself a plane ticket to Seattle to run to her grandparents, but of course, as soon as she got on the plane, her mother, who is a flight attendant, was on the plane and was commending her for discovering the code that said to buy a plane ticket to Seattle. So, is she going to fall into this conspiracy theory with her mother? Does she believe in cask? What's going on with all of that? Well, let's find out. Here's Like Mother.
Like Mother, Episode 6, Shock and Awe and Amazement, by Daniel Schwartz. Pandora Darling had flown at least once a month for most of her life. Her mother's job as an airline stewardess had given her free run of hundreds of planes and dozens of airports. For the first time, however, Pandy dropped down in Seattle feeling profoundly lost. Her flight had been, to say the least, unsettling. Decode what message? I was just trying to get away. How'd I end up on the plane she was on? Okay, hold on. Let's take a look at this paper. Page 13. Let's see. The mayor of Seattle welcomes the G8 leaders, an economic summit, labor rights activist Jason Brandt, fears of rioters. Wait a minute. The cryptographers use prime substitution, so that means Seattle leaders Lord Brandt target among rioters. Oh my god. Hey, Pandy. Boy, that was some takeoff, huh? Huh? Oh, hey, Bobby. I didn't notice. Oh, well, I don't go flying really often, so I guess I'm not used to it. How about you? My mom's a steward. Right. Bobby, look at this. Hey, it's today's paper. That's the one about the G8 summit in Seattle. Are you going to that, too? Jason Brandt's going to be there. I've read his book. He's great. He's done so much for guests and migrant workers in the Southwest. What? Jason Brandt. He'll be speaking at the demonstration. He's a big deal on the internet, organizing protests, circulating petitions, really working for the little guy. Bobby, I think they're going to kill him. What? That Bland guy. Brandt? Whatever. They're going to kill him. Who? The, look, read the article. Don't you see it? Well, there's a picture of the police erecting barriers. No, look at the article. An economic summit centering on the problems of retaining employment in the first world nations. No, no, no. Ignore the words. Look at the message. What? Look, you start on the first predicate, then start varying based on polygraphic ciphers. Pandy, it's just a news article. And what's a polygraphic cipher? Polygraphic substitution ciphers use plain text letters substituted in larger groups, typically pairs, making a digraphic cipher, instead of substituting letters individually. The advantage of this is first that the frequency distribution of digraphs is much flatter than the individual letters, though not actually flat in real languages. For example, TH is much more common than XQ in English. Second, the larger number of symbols requires correspondingly more ciphertext to productively analyze letter frequencies. How do you know that? I don't know. I just... I don't... Hey, Potato. Comfy? I know you like more pillows, so I had Tracy leave a few extra. I'm fine, Mom. How do I know about cryptography? I don't know what you're talking about, honey. Oh, hello, Bobby. Coke? You bet, Mrs. D. <sighs> Pentathol? Hey, good job remembering your reading. How do I know about cryptography? Well, I was originally going to just drug and hypnotize Bobby into forgetting. Then you had to pull the little stunt with the milk, so I figured we could step up the training a little and help you sort out some of the more boring code-breaking. So I got some of my audio training files and put them on your MP3 player. Subliminal training doesn't always work, but it was worth a shot, and hey, I guess it paid off. You brainwashed me into cracking codes? Perhaps a little less yelling and a little more accepting the situation with dignity, Pandy? We need to foil this assassination so that cask agents won't subvert the American labor movement. In the wake of Brandt's death, most of the attendees will be corralled into prisons and designated enemy combatants, which means indefinite detention and torture. This is a big time, Potato. I know we can do this. I figured we could bring your little friend along since he mentioned how excited he was. Won't there be thousands of people there? Hundreds of thousands. Good thing we can spot the agents, huh? I can't, Mom! That's something you can do! Well, now's as good a time as any to learn, isn't it? This is really intense, Mom. I'm scared. I know, honey. But part of being brave is being scared. Just relax a little. Enjoy the flight. In a couple of hours, there'll be a great view of the Rockies. Pandora passed the flight 
with a tale of two cities and a mounting sense of unease. Bobby twitched and muttered in his drug-induced sleep. As Pandora watched him, she felt a new sense of pity for the awkward teen next to whom she sat. Bobby Kurtzman was socially inept and hopelessly timid, but he didn't deserve the constant barrage of drugs and deception he'd been subject to since that fateful day he discovered Pandy's mother butchering a Jehovah's Witness. In a real sense, the unfolding events had victimized him even more than Pandora herself. At least she knew she was being manipulated by a murderous conspiracy theorist. Poor Bobby. You deserve better. As the plane sidled up to the terminal entrance, Pandora shook Bobby awake and gathered up her carry-on luggage. Huh? What? Are we there? That's right, Bobby Socks. Up and at him. Bobby Socks? You don't like it? What? Uh, no, sure, it's great. Bobby socks, sure. Sounds good, kid. Let's get going. Uh, hey, Pandy, before I dropped off, you were talking about code breaking, like there was some kind of secret message in the paper? Yeah, so? Well, I was thinking, maybe you're making a mountain out of a molehill. I mean, couldn't it just be a coincidence that there's a- The disadvantage of all these attempts to defeat frequency counting attacks is that it increases complication of both enciphering and deciphering, leading to mistakes. Famously, a British foreign secretary is said to have rejected the Playfair cipher because, even if schoolboys could cope successfully as Wheatstone and Playfair had shown, our attachés could never learn it. Additionally, without knowing the original content of the message or the correct code, any number of plausible but untrue sentences may be produced in attempts to decipher. Just finding a code doesn't mean it's there. I could be making a terrible mistake. Um, yeah, I think that's what I said. Bobby, we have to get out of here. Do we have somewhere to stay? Well, there's a youth hostel near the airport. Too close. She'll think of that immediately. We need somewhere to lay low. Somewhere she can't go. Paka! Huh? Quick, pick up your luggage. I'll go wave down a taxi. Bobby was confused, but he followed Pandy's instructions anyway. The trip from the airport to 71 Walter Street was expensive, but as the cab turned onto familiar streets, Pandora felt her heart slowly calming. Soon she'd be safe with the only people she'd ever known who gave her mother pause. Pandy! Paka John! Come here, you crazy girl. Give your grandpa a hug. Mm. And who's this? Paka John, this is my friend Bobby Kurtzman. Bobby, this is my grandpa, John Darling. John Darling had married his wife Beatrice immediately after coming home from Korea. The two had raised several sons, the youngest of whom went on to become Pandora's father. In their twilight years, the pair had retired and moved to Seattle, where they gardened, volunteered in the community, and received visits from their now much-extended family. It had been several years since Pandora and her mother had come to visit, since her father's parents had never liked Hope very much. Seeing them now, Pandy thought she might just be safe at last. Nice to meet you, Mr. Darling. Oh, Mr. Darling? Unless you've got a ring for my granddaughter, John will do just fine. B, Pandora's here! Pandy? Oh, that's wonderful! Sweetheart, what are you doing here? Hey, Grandma! Bobby and I were coming to town for the protest, so I figured I'd stop in and say hello. Stop in nothing. You're staying here for the weekend. No way is our Pandy going to spend the night in some hole-in-the-wall motel. And who's your friend? This is Pandy's friend, Bobby Beatrice. I think we can make up two guest rooms, don't you? Of course. Any friend of Pandy's is welcome here. Wow, thanks, Beatrice. No problem, Bobby. 
and it's Mrs. Darling, if you don't mind. Call me old-fashioned, but you're young enough to be dating my granddaughter. B, what a thing to say. You haven't played matchmaker in years, and you were no good at it back then. You watch yourself, old man. Who'd cook your meals without me around? <laughs> I don't know. Somebody good at it? Ah! <laughs> Quick, Pandy, let's get some of your things upstairs before Gamma thinks of a good comeback. John grabbed Bobby's suitcase and ushered his granddaughter up the stairs to the guest rooms. The darlings had done well for themselves, and it showed in the large, well-furnished house they always kept ready for company. Once upstairs and in private, John became more serious. I'm surprised your mother let you come here. Hope's normally very protective. Yeah, well, she and I had a fight. I figured. Never thought she'd be good with teenagers. Takes a certain knack. I guess so. I may need to stay here for a while. I'll talk it over with your gamma, but it shouldn't be a problem. You've got some lost time to make up for anyways. It has been a while, Pandy. You're the best, Paka. Good of you to notice, honey. Now let's get downstairs. Bee's probably grilling that poor boy of yours. He really isn't my boyfriend, Paka. Really? You should think about it. He'll be good practice for when a better one comes along. With a smile and a wink, John and Pandora headed back downstairs where Bobby and Beatrice's talk had taken a more vocal With turn. William Penn in the 1680s! Don't tell me that these Mexicans have it hard. Nobody's denying that the previous immigrations were difficult for those who participated, but this recent wave needs to be addressed appropriately. This argument again? No fair picking on the kid, B. Just because I won this fight back in 92. Now who could that be? John, good to see you again. Hope. I guess I'm seeing you again. Just as tactful as always. Old people don't need to be tactful. Don't have the time for it. Hope Darling stood in the doorway, braced as if ready to be hit by a train. As Pandora watched her over her grandfather's shoulder, however, she looked again at John Darling and got a strange expression on her face. Are you going to let me in, or do I need to receive verbal abuse in the rain? Best thing about Seattle, I've always thought. It discriminates against the unwelcome and the unwanted. Oh, let her in, John. She's lowering the property values. Hope pushed past John into the house. As the door shut, she put down her bags and closed her umbrella. I suppose you've come for Pandora. That was the original plan. New question, though. Hope Darling drew a gun from inside her raincoat and pointed it at Pandy's grandparents. Where are my parents-in-law? Oh my god, your mom carries a gun? I am so tired of that question. What are you talking about, Hope? John Darling is an arrogant, condescending, sarcastic son of a bitch, but he wouldn't sell out to cask. Mother, oh my god, this is crazy! Inside a voice, potato, and look at them, really look, and then you'll see what I mean. Pandora stared at her grandparents, the man who taught her how to ride a bike, the woman who taught her how to tie her shoes, the people she had felt safe with as everything came tumbling down. She narrowed her eyes, trying to see some kind of aura or sense some kind of change in them. How were they like other people her mother had targeted? She stared intently at them. I'm sorry, Mom! I can't tell! I don't know! That's my girl! Way to go, Potato! Potato? Suddenly, Beatrice grabbed the gun from Hope's hands. She held onto it, and as they struggled for the weapon, it went off in their hands. Bobby collapsed, bleeding from a shallow graze. Keep her there! I'll get the gun! Uh, 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 uh. 
How's Bobby? They never call me Potato. They hate that nickname. The wound looks worse than it is. Keep pressure on his head while I cuff these two. They look just like them. They probably started out looking differently. Cass commands an impressive budget. Some plastic surgeons are probably pocket change, but they always make mistakes. Look at their fingertips. The patterns are different. And John's feet were way bigger than this. So what do we do? Inform the police, file a missing persons report. I know a detective in the local precinct. He's a friend. Then we get going. For what? The demonstration. Now that they know we're here, we need to save Jason Brent. As Pandora bandaged Bobby's wounds, she felt the bolt shoot home on the prison of her life. Can Pandora and her mother stop the assassination? Is the assassination even going to happen? Will Bobby remember this most recent trauma? Like Mother continues next week with Red Right Hand. In that episode of Like Mother, the narrator was Charles Berman, Pandora Darling was Guinevere Eckert, Hope Darling was Lynn Nelson, John Darling was Patrick Ganan, and Beatrice Darling was Devon White. The theme song was by Jordan D. White. Excellent, excellent. And we have to, you'll have to listen uh, in a few weeks when we continue that one to see if Jason Brandt is assassinated. Oh, it's a very exciting thing. Dad, you're not supposed to sing. I'm supposed to sing. Yeah, it's been a while since you've sung on the podcast, hasn't it? Yeah. If you want a song about that show, I would do one. Okay, go ahead. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, Pandora is wondering if her mom is crazy. She's probably crazy because she's killing people. Yes, yes, very good. Yeah. That was excellent, Scape. Thank you for that. Uh, what do you call it? Oh, uh, I don't know. I wasn't really listening. To your own song. You weren't listening to your own song. No, I was just singing. I can just sing. Without listening. Yeah, it's easy. Watch. Oh, that is a dumbass whatever he says every time. You know what? I take it back. Your song wasn't very good. What? Why? You just called me a dumbass. I wasn't listening. You, you are the dumbass, I think. Dad, don't say that. I'm not so dumb. You are so dumb. The fact is you just, first of all, you sang a stupid song about the show. It didn't have a good melody. You, you mean, you got you got to do a pop song with a pop hook. Oh, you had a pop song with a pop hook. I was doing avant-garde. You weren't doing avant-garde. You don't even know what that means. Well, maybe. But I could do pop. Watch, ready? Uh, the song is called, the show is Rake Mother, so I'll do a song called Rake Mother. Ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Go ahead. Okay. Like mother, like mother, she's killing people. It's very scary, scary, and very bloody, bloody. I sure don't like mother too much. Ha, ha, ha. Well. It started out kind of promising, but it sort of wound down into nothing. Yeah, I mean, again, yeah, it did have a strong start. It had a, I mean, you didn't have any instrumentation, but I kind of heard it in my head, that sort of peppy uh, power pop sensation type thing, and it was going well. But then at the end, it sort of uh, sort of devolved into nonsense. It stopped rhyming. I thought it was going to rhyme, have a strong rhyme scheme. It didn't. The fact is, I think you should probably stop singing. <laughs> That's a bit harsh. Well, yes, but it, it didn't go well. Uh, and I think uh, it, you're past your prime. I'm not 
you're you're too old to, to be harboring these kinds of dreams. You're, you're being really mean. Well, that, yeah, that's pretty harsh, Rory. This, it doesn't matter. Look, at this point in, in our lives, I think I, I'm on the track to becoming a very successful extra historian. Jordan's on the track to be in the comic book industry. You know, obviously, the people who are going to succeed are already on the way. Excuse me. What? I... Hold on. I think I've proved my point. No, I don't think you proved anything. I think you're just... Guys, uh, guys, guys, guys. Let's just continue on with the show. Uh, we got up next a bit called This Day in History and Where Are They Now in History by Mr. Rory Sinjin, extra historian. Yes, and I should mention again, I, I was kind of emphasizing my expert witness program that you can hire me for, but don't forget, I also do extra historical readings. If you'd like to find out how your life would be in a different reality, I can tell you all about it and reassure you that you are making the right choices in your life. I'm sure everybody wants to know that they're on the right track. Okay, Rory, 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 uh, this isn't the advertisement show. Seriously, I'm going to have to tell you you can't say these things anymore if that's all you talk about is getting hired. No, no, I'm just, look, I'm just trying to take an opportunity here. But this is an example of extra historical events. You'll you'll hear a little uh, bit of history that has uh, a a very important moral lesson, and then I'll update you on it with even more about the moral lesson. Again, you don't have to explain everything. Let's, Let's go to it. This day in history, here it goes. Hello and welcome to this day in history. My name is Rory Sinjin and you're listening to WHRW Binghamton. On July 28, 1868, following its ratification by the necessary three quarters of U.S. states, the 14th Amendment, guaranteeing to African American citizenship and all its privileges, is officially adopted into the U.S. Constitution. Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. And no one's stopping me. I'm free. Thank Make God. what you should do with your freedom? What? Celebrate with a nice, big, juicy steak. Wait. Wait a minute, what exactly is your beef with the U.S. government? Yeah, they freed me. I don't have any beef with the U.S. government. I'm just saying he could enjoy himself with a steak. I think I love steak. Hey, I've got a match. We can cook it. But shouldn't we cook it well? No, I like rare steak. Well, yes, but you still- Cook it with this match, black man. Thank you, Condwat man number two. But you have to get it to the entire steak. It's at least 160 degrees Fahrenheit. No, you don't. The bacteria he is lying to you, dark-skinned one. Condwat man number one, you- is too uptight. But he's just trying to kill you and take away your freedom. Mm, He's not supposed to know that. But I don't want him to have his freedom taken away. Or his life. This is your mistake. Uh Uh-oh. Mercy me. You look diseased. Have you eaten undercooked meat? Ha ha ha. You tricked me. I'll never trust white people again. Rest in peace, black one. I tried to help you. (laughs) Yes, in fact, uh, nice white man number two was not nice at all. He was very, very naughty. It was quite wrong of him to trick anyone. In fact, everyone should always keep in mind that if you don't cook your steak to 160 degrees, you run the risk of ingesting disease and bacteria. So, remember, this is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. And if that didn't light a fire under you, this will... My name's Roy Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. I was a bit afraid to go there back then, but I will say it now. Nice Man number 2 was, in fact, a racist. Yes. What you don't realize was that shortly after that amendment was passed, Nice Man number 2 got fed up with the United States and the way things were going, and he said, I need to get out of here. What better way to do it than by becoming the top astronaut for NASA? And he became the head of the mission to Mars. When he reached Mars, he found that there were green people and there were red people, and they got along, and he did not like this. So he said, I will have a nice little 
feast for you all and I will feed you all to show you how happy I am and how everything is good. And he pulled a very similar dirty trick. He said, what we're going to do is you stand there with your mouth open. I'll stand here with the beef. We'll put a fire between us and I'll throw it right through the fire into your mouth. This actually was incredibly dangerous because first of all, lots of people got diseases from it. Second of all, lots of people choked to death because he threw it right down their windpipe. As a result, within a year's time, all of Mars was dead. It was a lifeless planet. They should have learned their lesson before he got there that you're supposed to cook the meat properly. You're not supposed to just kind of throw it through fire. That's malarkey. That doesn't make any sense. This is Rory Sinjin on Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. All right. You know, again, this is very good advice. Don't, don't A, cook things by tossing them through a fire gently. And B, don't eat things by having someone throw them in your mouth. Both of those things are dangerous. I mean, I, I've, ne- never mind the fact that if he tosses it right through the fire, it could catch fire and be on fire when it gets into the person's mouth, they could have a burned mouth. So all sorts of danger going on. Yes, good advice. Uh, here's the thing. Martians, A, don't exist, and B, they don't have red and green Martians. That doesn't make any sense. Seriously, Frank, seriously, um, it's like you don't even listen to the show, because you don't understand the concept of alternate realities. I do understand the concept, and I think it's hokum. Well, look, uh, I'm not interested in debating it with you anymore. Well, okay, then I'll take that as a concession. No, 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 you can't take it as anything. You can take it as, I know the truth, you know what you think you know, and that's all that needs to be said. But at the same time, don't eat raw meat. I think we can all agree on that, right? No. Why would I not eat raw meat? Well, because it's not healthy. But if you kill it, it's raw. You just eat it. Well, you... No, okay, but you're a cat. We have to cook our food first. We, we even cook the food we give to you. We don't give you raw meat. We give you cooked meat. You know, the the, the, the moist food I give you is cooked before it gets to you. I don't think so. It's cold. Well, yeah, it's cold. But first of all, that doesn't mean it wasn't cooked. And second of all, if you just killed something and ate it, it would be warm too. Well... Maybe. Definitely. You, I mean, you wouldn't know because you don't kill your own food. Oh, okay, I do. I do kill. You don't kill, Scape. Okay, moving on. Let's. And if you did, apparently you'd be crazy. Isn't that the song you just sang? No. I mean, yes, but that's not. That's. It's a different song. The song about me killing is like this. I'm fierce. I'm fierce. I'm gonna kill you and eat you, kiddo, and kill and kill, 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 kill. That's a terrible, awful song. That's a mean song, and I don't want you to sing it. Dad. It's about tough. I'm tough. You're not that tough. Let's get on with the show. This next show is called Debatatorium. Yes. Oh, yes. And it's a very special uh, one because Debatatorium is a is a uh, tournament show. So the first five episodes, we had five uh, debatiators win. And this is the, the second round. So they're all returning debatiators. Two people who won in the first round are coming back to debate this round. And as you'll hear, the second round of debate is a, a little sillier. It's a, it's a slightly less serious topic. We do hot button issues for the beginning and for the end. Not so hot button. Here we go. Debatatory. Hello and welcome to Debatatorium 2006. This is a very exciting show. We are all very happy to be here. This is the first uh, show of the second round of the tournament play, meaning that the two debaters tonight are uh, debaters who won previous rounds. Very exciting. Very exciting. So all of you know the two debaters already, but we will reintroduce them in just a moment. Uh, they are back, and this is a new debate. They're debating something different than they debated last time, but I do want to say that both of them have very strong feelings about this debate and know an awful lot about it. Uh, you know, before they were in ones that they may or may not have known about, but they did have opinions. But this one, they are both experts in this field. Uh, let's introduce our, our debaters again. Debater number one, please tell us who you were. Are, once Hello, again. this is Lord Vanton Zest, the fashionable-licious alchemist from the 18th century. Welcome back, welcome back. It's good to have you back. And uh, debater number two. Hello, 
I am Good Hitler. You may remember me from such debates as Good Hitler versus Mr. Namreb on women's rights. And uh, what you won. Now, Naturally. And to clarify, Good Hitler being from an alternate reality in which Hitler is good. Yes. I just wanted to clarify for people who might right. not know. Right. I can see how not everybody has gotten the memo yet. <laughs> it's possible. It's possible. Now, as I said, uh, this is something that is near and dear to our debaters' hearts. Uh, and it's a classic debate, uh, which I think most people have participated in. This week, we are going to decide, once and for all, the age-old battle, monkey versus robot. As we all know, uh, Lord Zest believes that monkey wins the battle of monkey versus robot. Oh, don't get me started on robots from the last debate. And of course, Hit- Good Hitler, I'm sorry, believes that robots win the debate. Well, yes. Now, uh, it's hard to decide which one of them is the attacker, so... Well, hold on. Yeah? Let's think of it in terms of, say, I believe that robots will always defeat monkeys, and Lord Zest, yes? Yeah. Yes, that is correct. Believes that robots cannot always defeat monkeys. This would make his positions a con. Well, it really goes either way. But would you like to go first, Lord Zest? Oh, sure. Why not? All right. Go right ahead. Tell us about why monkey wins. All right. So, well, coming back from what we were talking about in our last debate, um, I should fill in uh, my friend here, good Hitler, on this. We were talking about the Iraqi war and how in the future people will be turned into robots. Now, let's face it here. The robots, as we covered in our last debate, were quite unfashionable creatures, and thus they can't possibly win against monkeys. Monkeys who are at least related to us and therefore fashionable by extension. Now, but I, most of the monkeys I've seen aren't wearing any clothes at all. Right, but fashion is more than just clothes, my friend. Really? Fashion is how you groom yourself, how you carry yourself. So, like, the picking at each other's scalps is fashionable? They, they do it in a fashionable manner. Interesting, interesting. When you say that monkeys win, do you also include apes as monkeys, even though they're not technically monkeys? Uh, no. Monkeys have nothing to do with apes whatsoever. Nothing they're, at all? They're, they're too small to be apes. Okay, so you're talking about the guys with the tails. Right. The kind where, like, you crank a crank and it dances to the music. Oh, that's so unfashionable. Um, But that's a monkey. But but yes, yes, if you insist. Um, But uh, except for the ones that uh, you crank to make dance because they were the gaudiest fests ever created. I would argue that they are also robot monkeys and outside the scope of this debate. Okay, well tell us why why would monkeys... monkeys. Well, why would robots beat monkeys then? Well, I normally don't like to use information outside of the purview of my opponent, but it seems clear that the answer can be found in the universe where I come from. You see, the great monkey-robot war of 19... 1940 was one that we all remember. It is very near and dear to our hearts. We would surely have been crushed by the sinister monkey menace if not for the advent of good Terminator. Now, where did these monkeys come from that they were killing everyone? Trying to kill everyone? Well, it depends. Old world monkeys came primarily from Africa and other tropical climates, while new world monkeys came primarily from Central and South America. Now, why did they do this? Well, because they're evil. Inherently? Heinously. Now, hold on. Now, this is a good point. In your world, Hitler, good, monkeys, evil. Maybe in our world, Hitler, bad. Monkey's good. I keep hearing this. Now, now my point exactly. Now, in our universe, um, you know, robots, uh, I, I myself personally um, associate robots with the planet Science, the planet that Dr. Parsis came from, and that was just full of unfashionable, quite evil people. Um, how could we possibly imagine robots in our universe as good? Well, I don't believe that it's a question of moral alignment, per se. I think that... The you question... just said that monkeys were evil. Yes, but that's not the point. The point is rather that... The robot, a single robot, good Terminator, managed to defeat all monkeys, period. So 
whether or not they are good or they are evil, monkeys are simply not capable of handling robots. Even in this universe, when was the last time you saw a monkey standing victorious over the shattered, burning corpse of a robot? Almost never. All right, all right. Three I'll, days, at least. I'll tell you this much. Uh, during the 1666 fire of London, um, when the monkeys escaped from the zoo, they sent in they sent in the sturdiest wooden robots of our time back then to try and stop them. And the monkeys, well, to put it in quite ruffian terms, kicked their asses completely and utterly. Now, that's... I mean, that's interesting, but we do have actually uh, an expert on the line. Oh, uh, yes, hello? Yeah, hello, but please introduce yourself, expert, and, and tell us about yourself and why you're calling. Uh, well, this is uh, Dr. Brent Follette, and uh, I represent the uh, Coalition Against Robot Sexual Assault, CARSA. I'm sorry, Robot Sexual Assault? Yes. Uh, are you trying to stop robots from sexually assaulting people? Well, of or? course, what kind of monster would want robots to sexually assault people? But you're not trying to stop people from sexually assaulting robots? No, that's fine. Okay. Uh, so, please, tell us. Um, well, I just wanted to say that, you know, I, I think that you do need to recognize the, the power of robots because, I mean, really, once you're in their, their cold embrace, you're under their complete control and... Um, they will own your body. Well, without going into any graphic detail, either by you or me, mm-hmm. um, I, I do want to say that it's possible that monkeys could do something. Like, like what? I, like I said, I can't go into detail. Well, I, I, I'm sorry. I just can't even debate this point with you unless I... All right. Well, uh, Lord Zest, why don't you uh, try... I think he seems to be siding with your opponent, so please. So, uh, I'm sorry. I wasn't even listening. Something about sexual assault? If, I mean, what? If I could... Attempt to restate the expert's position, if that would be all right with you, Doctor. Oh, please, yes. Yes. Um, I believe the point he is trying to make is that robots are capable of vicious and horrific acts of violence against humans, humans being more advanced than monkeys. The advantage is pretty obvious. Well, potential... Would, would you say that encompasses your opinion, sir? Oh, certainly. Yes. Excellent. Well, potential means nothing. I mean... Let's face it, the robots know nothing of alchemy, well, whereas us humans, and probably our, monk- our primate uh, relatives, know plenty of alchemy. Veritable assloads of alchemy, in fact. You're saying monkeys know alchemy? Oh, yes, of course. Now, I've never seen a monkey do alchemy. Oh, my monkey just casted magic missile of the previous day. Oh, with... Magic missile is an arcane spell, not within the purview of alchemy. Oh, now that's interesting. All right, if they can cast magic, of course they can cast alchemy. So alchemy, I thought alchemy was a science. Well, it's... Quite you. Um, it is the... It is the bridge between magic and science. Everyone knows that, except for my friend here from opposite land. Um, world. Opposite world, Lord Zest. Whatever. Opposite land would be, like, across the ocean. Yeah, it's, har- it's hardly a whatever point, Lord Zest. If I were to refer to you as, say, Senator Zest, that would be blatantly untrue. You've never been elected to the position of senator, any more than you were elected to the position of defending monkeys and robots. Senator, who do you think I am, an American? Anyway, um... Or a, a Roman. Oof, Americans. Or, or Roman, whatever. Um... Anyway, as I was saying before, I was so rudely interrupted. Basically, my my monkey can, you know, transmute the ass of any robot it ever encounters. You say the word ass a lot. Oh, yes. Is there something you want to share with the group, Lord Zest? No. There is nothing at all I want to share with the group, you- Of course not, because there might be women in the audience. Oh, yes. I went there. I don't understand your- No, neither do I. Much like- next two of us. Might I interject that often victims of robot sexual assault do exhibit 
um, some level of perversion, um, it surfaces uh, from the psychological. Yes. What are you trying to imply, my good man? I think he's implying that maybe you were assaulted by a, a robot. It might explain your pro monkey stance in this debate. I think it would. These are complete and utter lies. How? What trash have you put me up against in this debate, Mister Allen? Uh, do you need a tissue? Are you okay? Yes, I'm okay. I'll give you a hug. Come here, I understand no, what get, it's like. No, get the bloody hell away from me. Once, no. Look at me, I'm switching to vulgarities now because you people are trying to insist the, the uninsistable. Well, I think we are allowed to say bloody, but let's let's make sure we're, we're careful. Uh, but we do, uh, speaking of uh, which, we do have another expert on the line here. I called in to Debatatorium 2006 with Frank Allen. Um, hi, who is this? This is the voice of the narrator. Um, the narrator? The narrator. There's only fun. I am the fictional part of a narrative which explains to the audience the events which have taken place, either from a first-person or third-person point of view. Well, I think everybody's been listening, so were you, what were you calling to explain? I was calling to explain the elements of the debate which have not been revealed by those who have been participating so far. Ooh, a shocking twist. Go ahead. Little do they know that in their absence, robots have been taking over the jobs of the world. Woohoo! Now, I, is that true? Yes. Oh. Robots now own all jobs involved in voiceover acting. Does that include your job? Yes. Does that mean you're a robot? No. Are you a monkey? It means at the moment I'm out of work. That's unfortunate. Did they robots take the monkeys' jobs? The monkeys too. Little did they know were not at the time employed gainfully. That's unfortunate. Well, then who's going to pick bugs out of our hair? The hair bugs will be removed in the future by automated machine, under which we will stand while gears shift above our heads, waxed to a fine point of fluidity while they reach down and remove ticks from between the follicles that grow from our scalps. Look, this is immaterial whether or not they're going to take our jobs. The, the point is whether or not our monkeys can defeat the robots in a fight. Well, I think the answer should be obvious, isn't it? All right, well, let's, let's, here, here, here we go. What, if I were to take your job, would I be able to kick you, would I be able to beat you in a fight? Well, let's think about this for a moment. If you have a job and I don't. Good Hitler sat there for a moment thinking. Okay, first of all, I need to sit for a moment thinking. Okay, done. Now, you have to remember, if you have a job and I don't, then you enjoy things like a higher standard of living, access to more ready capital, which means firearms, you probably have your basic elements of life covered, your food, your shelter, while I'm living in a cardboard box drinking cheap hooch trying to sell paintings on the street. What does this hooch you speak of? Well, here's the thing, Hitler. Now, while a robot could take a monkey's job, possibly even doing it better than the monkey did it himself, the robot may only be programmed to do that job, whereas the monkey can, simul can, can spontaneously decide to start kicking butt. A robot has to be programmed to kick butt. Oh, oh, oh you, you, you said butt in two sentences. Now, now did, the, did the robots molest you as well? No, butt is not a molest. The robots bit. refrain from molesting Frank Allen. But is not a code word for molest. Apparently, it's the other one. Oh, word. I, I see. Only uh, only the word for donkey is, apparently. That's a weird thing to well, say. Robots do 
quite often sexually assault donkeys. Oh, all right. Well, let's not get into that. Uh, but Hitler, what do you, how do you answer that thing I just said? Oh, is the point about programming? Yes. Well, that's actually relatively simple to also tell. The programming of a robot can be changed at any moment. If you smash a monkey enough times with a rock, trust me, I've seen videos. It's horrific. You should never beat monkeys. That should be a PSA, Frank Allen. Oh, but, or robots. Well, yes, but monkeys are our Earth brethren, so we should always... Robots come from Earth. Not all robots come from Earth. I Remember don't Dr. Pass's speaking spell robot. Oh, that's true. But if you hit a monkey enough times with a rock, it will eventually be incapable of fighting. Same for the robot. Depends on the rock. You need a larger rock, indicating that they can take more damage. It depends on how sensitive the robot is. If it's a robot made out of glass, for example. Look, a robot is more programmed than how it may fight, whereas a monkey can be more spontaneous, therefore therefore more unpredictable, therefore far more deadly. Oh, come now. That's hardly a valid argument. That's like saying that... Monkeys don't have the ability to speak. Therefore, never get the important jobs. Again, the jobs. They are so immaterial to this discussion. But still, Lord Zest, I hardly think it's a fair point. That's like implying that a trained Navy SEAL would be helpless against a drunk in a bar fight simply because the drunk is more unpredictable. That's an interesting If we can talk about well, parallel this, levels this, of this skill, is, this is even quite then. true, actually. I don't know what your Navy SEALs are all about, but all right, let's just say a soldier in the awesome British Navy were to get into a fight with a with a uh, drunken ruffian, if you will. Now, I th- I would be putting my money on that drunken ruffian for several reasons. Especially if it was Jackie Chan, because... Ah, yeah, you see? Wait, Lord th- Zest placed his money on the drunken ruffian. Hold on now. Hold on now. If we're going to include Jackie Chan here, by the way, evil Jackie Chan, not a man to screw around with. But if we're talking about a drunken master, again, that's a level of training, a level of programming, if you will, not available to monkeys. All right. Why, well, why does training only have to be programming? I mean, seriously, we, we could have a monkey who is very well trained in martial arts completely beat the stuffing out of this robot. Now, unfortunately, I'm having a, a, a heck of a time deciding this debate, but we do have to get to the uh, closing arguments. So, uh, Lord Zest, why don't you wrap it up? And in fact, if you'd like uh, to focus our, our closing arguments, I would like to imagine uh, a fight between a really powerful robot and, to be fair, I would probably say a, a large number of monkeys, because monkeys do tend to group together. So, to, you, I want you to tell us this this fight between this large number of monkeys and a robot. Why do the monkeys win? Explain to us. Well, the, the monkeys would use quite vulgar tactics, which I would personally disapprove of, like uh, flinging their excrement about. But this would confuse the robot to the point which they could easily overwhelm him with their sheer numbers and pretty much hack him to pieces. Uh-huh. Probably with some homemade sharp rocks that they found lying H- about. Homemade rocks? Well... Home sharpened rocks. Oh, home sharpened. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, monkey, because monkeys tend to be able to use tools, possibly. Well, they do have the opposable thumbs, just like you and me. That's true. Uh, so, Mister Mister Hitler. Uh, now, why do you disagree? Why do you think the robot would win? Well, a number of reasons, I suppose. The most elemental one is that the monkeys, even in Lord Zest's example, are using tools. Robots are tools incarnate. Well, in in ferret, what what would be the version that doesn't involve flesh? But I'm not sure. Metal? Anyway, but robots themselves are tools. If well programmed, it has the equivalent of a trained fighting style and can easily beat off any number of opponents. Also, inevitably, I hate to say it, but eventually monkeys get tired or they die. A robot, especially good Terminator, can just keep fighting. And fighting, and fighting. You know, we have batteries a- could go dead, and, they c- and their joints can rust. Like, like the Tin Man. 
eggs the tin man what a, what is he what do you speak of it's a character in the visit of Oz, which was written by good l frank baum no although i should note we do have a good uh, terminator in a movie in our world too in the second oh in the sequel yeah when he gets all evil and stuff no well, i guess opposite oh yes all right well listen uh both of you frank been- allen flipped a coin Shh, don't tell all right both of you made really good uh points however what I've got to say is this. I, while I agree, I agree that uh, a robot is a tool. It is so dependent on the programming provided by man, whereas a, a monkey comes about its abilities naturally, uh, is not reliant on us to make it a good fighter. So I would say a robot, you know, especially depending on the robot, but a robot would be more likely to naturally lose. Oh, as they will be seen one day in the future, in your face. Lord in Zest. your face. Is that how it happened with the robot there? Lord Zest. Don't worry, operators are standing by. You vulgar ruffian! You scalawag, you humdinger! All right, well, unfortunately, it's getting quite heated in here, uh, but Lord Zest takes some comfort in the fact that you move on to the next round of debating uh, for towards the championship, whereas, good Hitler, unfortunately, your journey is done. Denial is not just a river in bad Egypt, Lord Zest. Uh, but you're the one who's being denied. I will make sure a gang of thieves steal you away one day. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Debatatorium 2006. The theme music began to play. We'll be back uh, in another, you know, week with uh, more continuing the second round of debates. My name's Frank Allen. Good night. episode of Debatatorium featured the voice talents of Frank Allen, Charles Berman, Patrick Ganan, Nicholas Roach, Daniel Schwartz, and Jordan D. White. Thank you very much, Rory. And Frank, I understand, as you said earlier, you have a very special, extra-length, investigative Frank Allen interview. Is that correct? Yes, it's absolutely correct. So maybe we should just hop right over to it. Do you want to introduce what it is? Well, uh, not not entirely, because I mean, I'll introduce it in the bit, but I do want to say it touches on a few of the issues that have come up on the show in the last uh, few episodes, both on Frank Allen interviews and in other uh, parts of the show, some things we've actually talked about today. So some of the things we've been talking about today might just get settled here in my interview. Interesting. Well, I don't like what kind of things. I don't want to say too much. I don't want to say too much. But here's an interview with uh, two gentlemen who I think will be very enlightening. All right, let's go to it. Frank Allen Interviews, go. Frank Allen Interviews, starring Frank Allen. Hello and welcome to Frank Allen Interviews. My name's Frank Allen and uh, we have a very special two-part interview today dealing with some issues that have come up on our show recently. Uh, I think it's quite informative. I have with me here defense attorney Matt Roma, who was in fact uh, the defense attorney for Miss Ida Know that we interviewed two weeks ago. Uh, Mr. Roma. Yeah. It's good to have you here. Good. So, uh, can you t- talk to us a little bit about the case? Uh, you you were the defense attorney, as we said, for, I don't know, and uh, at first she, of course, was convicted of cannibalism, but uh, she was acquitted. T- talk to us about this. Right. Um, you about got it. Um, yeah. No, I mean, uh, tell us your, your version of the story. Tell, tell the story again. Not that good a story. Well, no, but it's, I mean, it is, but the, no, my point is, I, you know, it's, it's, a big, it's a big story on our show because we talked to her and then she got acquitted. We want to fill everybody in on the whole process. Right. Right. They uh, said she was a cannibal. Had to do with eating people. Um, the defense attorney, um, Matt Roma, tried to get her acquitted. That's you. That's me. Uh, so uh, my, I originally defended her on basis uh, that she didn't do it. They uh, saw through that. On the appeal, I defended her on the basis uh, she only pretended to eat them. They said that lacked motivation. Uh, I appealed again. Said uh, she wanted to uh, 
take them into her so she could uh, absorb their power and help her defeat further enemies. That uh, didn't go over either. It was kind of a dead end, seeing as they seemed pretty intent on thinking I was wrong. So uh, she came to me with this idea, being she's a troll. I was kind of annoyed she hadn't mentioned this before. But uh, U.S. laws not apply to trolls. Uh, you'll notice troll dolls, no passport, no ID, never arrested uh, for vagrancy, nothing. Uh, she's a troll. See people what trolls do. Can't touch by the law. So that was the defense. She's a troll. No, I, well, I just got to say, I, now I, I was there for the discovery that she was a troll, or rather the revelation that she was truly a troll. Um, and I'm glad that this came to light and that everything got settled uh, fairly and rightly, justly, I should say. But uh, it's some sort of unscrupulous. You make it sound like a lawyer is willing to say what... I mean, you said she didn't do it, and we knew that wasn't true. She did it live on the air. And then you said that she was pretending... All these things, I mean, they just, they were clearly not true. Did you know they weren't true when you were saying them? Yeah. That's uh, it's a lie. And do you, do you use them a lot in your business? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, whenever I say something uh, and that's not true, I'm lying. Okay. So let me ask you this. Let's say, um, let's say there was a guy who uh, was offering a service, basically an alibi service, so that somebody would be accused of a crime. Let's say, for example, uh, your client. And uh, this guy would go on the stand and you would say to him, well, do you know for a fact that my client was uh, in Iraq at the time of the murder? And he would say, absolutely, I swear to it in court, 100% true. And that he was not talking about our universe, he was talking about an alternate universe. Would that be something you'd be willing to not only do, but pay money for? Alternate universe? Um, what's that? Well, an alternate universe, I mean, he wouldn't want, you wouldn't want him to say alternate universe in court, I'm sure. You I don't believe in alternate universe. I don't know why you do. You gotta be an idiot. No, I don't believe in, I don't believe in alternate universe. This, All right. This is hypothetical. All right. All right. So, so he's saying he believes in alternate universes. And he says in an alternate universe, the person was, has an alibi, but he doesn't mention it's an alternate universe. So he just will confirm any alibi you say, no matter what it is. Ah, that's perjury. Well, that's lying. Yeah, but I'm not under oath. You're not under oath now. No. But he would. Yeah. Well, he wouldn't be, he wouldn't think it was a lie. He would believe what he was saying. Oh, yeah, that's all right then. Yeah. So would you be willing to pay that guy money? Not getting my money. Well, the client's money. Yeah. As an expert witness. Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah, all the time. So yeah. that sounds like a, a viable business. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. Actually, I, I, I do that, but without the uh, alternate universe. Oh, perjury. They just lie. Yeah, perjury. Okay, well, that doesn't sound legal. No, we don't mention it uh, in the court. Well, you just mentioned it on the podcast. We're not in court. Couldn't you still go to jail for that? Or? You can't go to jail for a podcast. But couldn't they use it as evidence? Yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh, you might want to cut that out. Well, I can't cut it out, so. Ah. Uh, well, I was lying there. That was an uh, example of a lie. Oh. Yeah. Okay. No, I, I believe you. All right, well, I have one other question. If I was accused of a crime, yeah. and somebody said I didn't have an alibi and I had a motive to kill a guy who, who, who made sure I didn't get a radio job, would you be able to make it so I don't go to jail? You got to say you didn't do it. I didn't do it. There you go. So you can't be convicted. You didn't do it. All right. All right. That's that's good to know. They might not like that one. You got to try a few. Well, I'm not a troll, though. Yeah, well, that's a problem. Uh, say it was self-defense, like uh, the victim was trying to kill you, so you killed them. But I didn't kill them. Yeah, if they don't believe that one. Just say you did, but they were trying to kill you. But I didn't. Yeah, but you lie. You want me to lie and say I did it? If, if it doesn't work to say you didn't. That doesn't... I, I mean, I don't... I'm, I'm uncomfortable with that. All right. Then say you didn't but it was self-defense. Wait, if I didn't do it, how was it self- I didn't do it, but if I did? Then it was self-defense. You can enter a plea like that? You can try. All right, well, it's worth a shot. Um, well, thank you for being here, Mr. Matt Roma. You're welcome. And uh, we do have another another interview now set up. Uh, yeah, I just go? Yeah, go ahead. All right. Send in the next guy, would you? Yeah. 
Um, here, in addition to Mr. Matt Roma, who was, as you heard, the defense attorney for uh, Miss I don't know, we actually have the uh, the prosecutor from that case as well, uh, Mr. Uh, Matthew Roma. Right. Uh, Mr. Roma, um, you were a prosecutor uh, against I don't know, saying she was the guilty of cannibalism, right? Uh, yeah, prosecutor. Now, you, you look very... Similar to Matt Roma. Yeah. Who was just here. Yeah. He was the defense attorney. Right. I remember that. No, but uh, I'm, I was I was kind of indicating, like, why? Why is that? They hired him. No, I mean, why do you look so similar? Uh, yeah, he's my uh, twin brother. He's your twin? So, wait, okay. You guys are both lawyers and you're on opposite sides of the same case? Well, not anymore. We were. But that's not a... Isn't that like a conflict of interest or something? I mean... Uh, it's a professional business... Plus, uh, my uh, professional name is uh, Matthew Vicenza. Uh, that's what my passport says. Uh, not my birth name. Uh, court doesn't look up my real name. They hire Matthew Vicenza. They say we look alike. Very little they can do. But you look exactly alike. Yeah. Also, that sounds illegal, having a, a fake passport. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, I have a couple questions, but I guess I'll start by saying, hypothetically, if there was a prosecutor who was using a fake passport and fake identity, shouldn't you convict that person of fraud of some sort? Or? I shouldn't, no. I couldn't. I would be disbarred first if it was me. No. Well, what if, it, hypothetically, if it wasn't? Yeah, uh, that would be pretty, pretty reasonable, yeah. Okay, so, anyway, regarding the I don't know case, uh, I don't know, you, you convicted her once, appealed, you convicted her again, appealed, you convicted her again, then this, this troll thing came up. Tell us about what happened there. Yeah, uh, uh, that was about it. No, I I want I want your version. Tell us it in your own words. Right. Uh, the same as your version. There was a uh, uh, cannibal eating people, and they convicted her, uh, and they appealed it. Then they said she was a troll, and they were lying. Well, no, I, I met her. Good. And she she really does sleep under bridges and, and eat people. Yeah, so do homeless people. I, well, how many homeless people eat people? Well, this cannibal... For one. No, but I'm saying, how? why do you think she's not a troll? I don't go around counting homeless people who eat people. I got better things to do. But she's, if, she, if she lives under a bridge, yeah, that's like a troll. It's like a troll. Well, it, like a troll is could be a troll. Isn't a troll like a troll? I've never uh, seen a troll. I don't really know what a troll is. Uh, I think it's a fictional creature. I don't think there's such a thing as a troll. Um, but this was part of the problem in the case. You see, I said, uh, you can't prove that she is a troll. And they said back to us... Well, give us some characteristics of a troll, and we can show you that uh, she meets all the qualities. I said, uh, there are no trolls. They said, well, therefore, you can't have any characteristics. She's a troll. I mean, yeah, because I think the argument would be that if you, you say you have never seen a troll, but maybe you have, it's her. Right, but uh, she seems to be pretty clearly a, a human person uh, eating other human persons. That makes it cannibalism. Well, at least 12 people don't think that that's true. Uh, yeah, they're wrong in... Uh, uh, in the courtroom, you have to have uh, truth and facts are the two main things. Uh, no uh, perjury, no uh, lying. But then you just said that you, you give a fake name, so that's lying, that's not truth, and it's, in a way, perjury. I did that on my passport. Uh, I just haven't corrected the court. Why do you show your passport at the court? I, I don't. That's why they can't see it's fake. But don't they call you Mr. Whatever? Yeah, well, it's on all my documents, you know. But that's a lie. It's just that's the way it's written. I might have lied at one point, yeah. All right. Anyway, do you feel you so you feel that this was I mean, you obviously don't believe the troll thing, but it's clearly true. I, I revealed it on my show. Uh, no, uh, your show uh, was lying. There's, there's, there's look, she's just saying she's like, look, uh, Frank, uh, I'm a vampire. Really? Do you believe me? 
Is it true? Let's say I'm saying it's true. Then I would say it's true. See, that's called, uh, that's called gullible. You can't be gullible in the courtroom. There's lots of people in there. You just say anything and they believe it's true. My brother, he's a lot more charming than I am. He gets away with a lot more. He says something, people believe it. Me, I'm more down to earth, but, uh, I'd stick to the facts. Okay, but, okay, look, are you a vampire or not? No. So then why did, but you said you were a vampire. I believed you. It was a example. Like, she just said she was a troll. Because she is a troll. She was lying to get away with it. It was my idea. That's, she picked up on it. She said, oh yeah, I'm a troll. Like, uh, she heard you and she said, I know, maybe I can get away with it. I don't know. And then she told my brother. My brother, he believes anything. I don't believe anything. You don't believe anything? I don't believe anything. At all? No, I don't believe anything at all. Then what facts can there be? This doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. I don't believe it. All right, fine. I have another question about a different case. Right. Let's say, right, there was a guy. Yeah. And this guy was brought in by the defense to justify an alibi. So somebody says, uh, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't in that radio studio at the time. I was in France. Yeah. And this guy comes on the stand and they say, do you know for a fact that this guy was in France? And the guy in the stand would say, yes, it's absolutely true. 100% this guy was in France. But what he really means is that there's an infinite number of alternate realities. And in one alternate reality, at least, there exists a place where that person was in France. And that it doesn't mean that in our world, it's really true. What do you think about that? That uh, it's like what my brother does. Your brother believe, doesn't, he told me he doesn't believe in alternate realities. Yeah, well, it's probably a lie. He lies all the time. Oh. Well, okay, but what I'm saying is, is what this guy is doing on the stand, is that good or just or legal or what? No, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's perjury. Uh, it's illegal. I don't think, uh, you can do that. It's just obstructing, uh, justice. But he thinks it's true, so he's not lying. Then he's an idiot. Well, I, yeah, he is. Yeah. Well, you can't have people, uh, that much of an idiot in the courtroom. That's perjury. Uh, lock him up. Being an idiot is perjury? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Well, not like technically. No. But if you're a much, as much of an idiot to lie, it's perjury. If he was doing that, uh, you could just uh, come up to him and say, uh, like, I'm the prosecutor. I could just come up to him and say, well, did he do it? Then he would have to tell the truth. And if he didn't, he lied. That's perjury. Yeah, because he'd have to say yes, because if there's infinite alternate realities, even if he didn't do it in our world, he did it. Yeah, because then if they're infinite, then there has to be a world where he did it. So that's an easy way to get around. Yeah, you just get the prosecutor to say, did he do it? If anybody tries that, there's an idiot, is what I'm telling you. It's stupid. So if anybody who, who would pay this guy for the service is probably making a mistake. It's a waste of money, yeah. He's either got to be a perjurer or he's just going to get you convicted. It's a bad service. It's not the kind of guy you want to pay. Don't don't hire this kind of guy. Charlatan. Yeah, it's what you call a, a mountain back, a charlatan, a con artist, a scammer. Somebody wants to take your money. Okay, good. And I have one final question. If I know a girl, right? Oh, uh, this is, uh, you want some advice? Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, yeah, I want advice. Um, if I know a girl. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And um, there's a certain night when she was completely missing. Just call her up. No, 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 there's more. She's missing and, you know, someone dies and she dislikes this person for some reason. That's, that's jealousy, isn't it? She's jealous of me. Of me? Yeah. No, but I don't like this person either. But I, I didn't do it. You didn't do what? Kill him. You, did you kill a guy over a girl? No, I'm saying the girl was missing and she didn't like the guy. She could have killed him. So why'd she go missing with him? No, she wasn't with him. He's dead. That's too bad. No. 
it's well, it's good because I didn't like him, but I didn't do it. I'm saying, I'm saying, do you think we could get her arrested? I'm saying, I think she did it. Did she kill him? I think she did. Uh, if you're right, then uh, she goes to jail. It's against the law. Well, all right. Yeah. Well, just uh, you gotta like the police have to do that usually. Yeah, but I'm saying I did the investigating as an investigative journalist. Just uh, like go to the police and say, uh, look, uh, I've got evidence. Well, I try, look, I tried the police. They didn't do it. But I'm saying I'm talking to you. You're a prosecutor. Yeah. District attorney. They got to get arrested before I prosecute. Okay. Couldn't couldn't we not arrest her and just try her? Uh, there's uh, situations where that works, like uh, military bases. Um, is she a terrorist? I don't think so. Could you maybe frame her as a terrorist? Well, I, I guess people were scared when she killed that guy. Yeah, that's that's terror. So maybe. Yeah, take her to uh, Homeland Security. All right. Yeah, circumvent some of that uh, trial rest. This has been very helpful. So let, just to summarize, okay, obviously you don't think that I don't know is a troll, but I think victory for justice because she was a troll. But there's no such thing as troll. Do you know I don't know? No, yeah. She just looks like an old lady. A.K.A. troll. If you define troll as old lady, how many trolls do we know of? One. I don't know. Any description we can give of her is a description of a troll. Yeah, then if you are a fizzly bub, then U.S. law does not apply to fizzly bubs, and you can do anything you want. That logic does not work in court, except this time it did. It did work in court. Right. Justice. Anyway, but also, if someone lies about alternate universes, nonsense doesn't work. Justice. Right. And Lynn goes to jail. Justice. Right. So all justice all the time. Right. All right. Thank you. Thank you. This has been a Frank Allen interview. Very justice-centric. And uh, we'll be back next week with more investigative journalism. It's very uh, smart. So thank you for listening. Wow. Okay. Uh, that did touch on a few things, like you said. Uh, yes, you could say that. Thank you. You don't sound too pleased with it, Rory. Uh, no, I know. Gee, do you think I don't? Um, perhaps because you just spat upon my new endeavor. That is because you you looked into my endeavor and uh, I decided you want to ruin it before it even began. And here you are. Well, no, Rory, because I look. I said we said it was a miscarriage of justice. Yeah, we did say that. I mean, it, it did sound sort of like a miscarriage of justice to me. And I just wanted to look into it. You know, as he said, he pointed out a really good point. If you got on the stand and the prosecutor says, "Did the guy do it?" You have to say yes. If you don't say yes you're lying because you believe that there is a universe where he did. Well, there is a universe where he did, but no, I wouldn't want to say that. I'd want to say, well, not in this universe. Yeah, but then he would just say, what, what does the universe have to do with it? And then you'd have to admit that when you said you knew his alibi in the first place, that you, you weren't talking about this universe necessarily, which would undermine the whole point of you going on in the first place. Well, well, yes, but all right, look... But, yeah, but what are the odds that they're going to say that? They, they, they'll just say, do you know that the person is, is where they said it was? And I'll say yes, and that's all there is to it. They'll do a cross-examination, but they wouldn't think to ask that. They'll just say, are you sure? You know, all these things like that. And I'll say, yes, I'm absolutely sure, blah, 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 blah. They'll say, did you see him? And I'll say, well... Yeah, what will you say to that? You won't, you won't have seen him. Well, I'll, I'll think about it. Look, I, the point is, it doesn't matter. I... I'm going to be a very good expert witness. I'm, an, I'm a very good expert. I'm very smart and very learned. And I, and I know a lot of things about, you know, alternate universes and things. All right. All right. Well, Frank, there you got him. I think you got him there. I think so, too. And I think you're very immature. But also, Frank, I do want to say I don't think Lynn killed that guy. But the guy said that she would go to jail if she did. Yeah, if she did, she'll go to jail. But I don't think she did it. Well... Let's, let's leave it to a jury. Well, if you get her arrested as a terrorist, there won't be a jury. Well, then she shouldn't have killed the guy. That doesn't make it terrorism, though. No, but it makes it, it's terror, maybe it's, it's terrorism to me, because she's terrorizing me by killing someone and making me scared of dying. That's not what terrorism, I, you don't, maybe you should continue your investigation into what terrorism is, because I don't think you've 
really fully grasped this. Let's move on. We've got another show to do. Um, this is Epic Echoes that we've got left. Epic Echoes is known as the Backwards series. This is the first episode of our second season in real time, in real life. But that means it's the season finale in the world of the show. What we heard in the season premiere of the other one was that uh, Dralis, had, uh, Dralis had captured Max and was torturing him, things like that. The flashback had to rescue him. Well, let's find out how he got into that predicament and where that all came from here on Epic Echoes, the Backwards series. series season two episode one benedict arnold by lynn nelson the tension was thick among the flash pack this impenetrable group of friends had spent their last year fighting off deadly enemies like cthulhu and slimer they'd buried loved ones together with their combined energies they had christened flown lost stolen and crashed spaceships they'd cooked and eaten meals together gone on top secret missions and played a few video games in between vicious alien attacks now everyone was wrapped up in their own business, and the group seemed very disjointed. Jimmy's inauguration speech was only a day away, and of course the entire Flash Pack was going to attend. Getting there, however, may have been a problem, as they probably needed to take at least three separate ships if they were going to refrain from killing each other on their way. It was as if the only members of the pack who were getting along were Max and Dralis. The two had taken a trip to San Francisco to pick up a specially made bust of Jimmy that they intended to present to him as something of a housewarming gift after his inauguration ceremony. The trip was proving quite pleasant, and the bust had come out beautifully, thank you. Meanwhile, the rest of the flash pack was still on Venus, and they certainly weren't getting along. They had successfully thwarted the Blagenstrap invasion of Flutuana, Venus's capital, and were invited by the Venusian Prime Minister to stay for an elaborate ceremony in their honor. The ceremony had been beautiful, the food scrumptious, and the accommodations absolutely elegant. They were spending their last day there, which they should have been enjoying. But Molly and Keen were still not speaking to each other, and Slatter was avoiding both of them by making a huge card for Jimmy that said, Congratulations, Prez. Don't mess up the country. Now Molly was sitting in her room and futzing with her portable video phone, and Keen found herself in the parlor chatting with the Prime Minister, who happened to be an old family friend. I still cannot get over little Sarah Keen. All grown up and fighting for one of the most famous intergalactic crime-fighting troops of our time. One of? <laughs> oh, I apologize, of course. The most famous intergalactic crime-fighting troop of our time. Seriously, my young Sarah, you look positively radiant. If you want a religious man... The two chuckled quietly and sipped from the small round bowls they were resting in their laps. But come now, my little crime-fighting niece. You've just come from a grueling battle with our arch-enemies. You've saved my entire planet from certain destruction, and you are here cooking for me? This this is unacceptable. Well, if you don't want it, I'll be happy to finish it. Nonsense, nonsense. I would not let a drop of your curry out of my hands. Are you sure you're not part Venusian? Your cooking is better than that of my head chef. Now, now, don't let him hear you say that. The dinner you offered us was positively lovely. This is just a gesture to thank you for all the hospitality you have afforded us. I'm sure it's insufficient, but it's the least I can do. And you know I love to cook. 
Upstairs and down the hallways, Molly's portable video phone made some squeaking noises and a picture started to form. The static suddenly faded away and Max's voice came in loud and clear. Molly! Hey Molly, are you there? Max! Sorry, I've been having some trouble with the VP. It's a long story. How are things on your end? Couldn't be more stellar, Mal. We've got Jimmy's bust, and it's just perfect. Dralis really outdid herself finding this sculptor. Oh, I'm so glad. Where are you guys? Oh, we're still on Venus. What? I figured you'd be home by now. I thought it was a wild goose chase. Did it turn out to be true? Oh, it was true, all right. Blagenstraff galore. What? Jeez, Molly, why didn't you call me? I told you, the VP's been down, not to mention Captain America, that we're perfectly capable of fending off a few harmless Blagenstroff. Harmless, sure. Well, they're gone now, in any case. Well, good work. Will you be heading back tonight? Yes, in a few hours. Okay, then we'll meet in Washington. Dralis and I are- Max's image became very fuzzy, and his voice cut out for a moment. Max? Max, I didn't catch that. You and Dralis are what? Dralis and I will- Max? Max! Damn, stupid thing. Molly went out of her room and knocked on the room next door. She heard a friendly but tentative, Come in? And opened the door to find Slaughter with all kinds of construction paper, glitter, and glue strewn about the room. Uh, you're going to, like, clean that up before we leave, right? Nah, I figured the Prime Minister could use a little arts and crafts in his life. You're a card. Listen, I just heard from Max. So you got the VP up, eh? Sorta. Bet he blew a gasket when he heard about the Blogginstroff. He probably had an accident, but he's proud of us. As well he should be. Is he still on? Can I say hi? I haven't got all the bugs out, I guess. He said he's got Jimmy's present okay, but he cut out just as he was telling me something he and Dralis were going to do, I I think. Just as long as they're in time to see Jimmy. Yeah, I hope so. Listen, would you mention this to Keen, just so she's uh, up to date? Yeah, sure. Just then, Molly's video phone started beeping up a storm from her room, and she ran in to see what it was doing. Dralis' face had manifested clearly on the screen. Molly! Hey, I figured you guys would call back. Yeah, well, Max had to, uh, use the little boy's room, so I thought I'd try you back. Having trouble with the VP? Well, not at the moment, apparently. It's going in and out. So, why are you so made up? Oh, I guess that's where you guys cut out. Max and I have stopped for dinner in El Paso. I know a nice place, and we're famished. It must be a really nice place for you to make yourself up. You never touch this stuff. Well, I want to look nice for Max. Oh. It's something of a date, you know. Hey, listen, he's ready and we should head out. See you at Flashpoint tonight? Yeah, sure. Have fun. Dralis clicked off her video phone and turned to see Max standing behind her. Wow, Dralis. You look really nice. It's the same t-shirt and jeans I was wearing before you went to the loo, Max. Yeah, I know. But still, you look nice. Well, thanks. Wanna go? The two got into their space taxi, which took them to a large, very modern-looking building with no signs on it. This is a hotel I discovered on my last trip here. It's got a beautiful little restaurant inside. Sounds great. I could eat a Gleepglorp. And you can. The two hopped out of the taxi and went inside the building, not noticing the little catman who was a few yards behind them. Max thought it was a rather ugly hotel. It was pretty industrial-looking on the inside, and the lobby they walked through was deserted. But soon they found what he thought was a restaurant. When he peeked his head in, he saw just a small carpeted room with a table set for two, with a candle. A private dinner? I told you. Classy. I figure we'd avoid the noise of all the other diners. Have a seat. Wow, Dralis, this is so nice. Seriously, this is such a sweet thing to do. 
They sat down and hadn't looked at their menus for a minute before Max heard a deep voice behind him say, Can I take your order, sir? Max turned, intending to ask for a minute, but was confronted by several men with the exact same face, build, and machine gun pointed at his face. He turned to look at Dralis and could only muster a, What the? before he blacked out. Take him to the examination room and start deploying troops to the streets. I want this city secure before I send a distress call to the flash pack. Yes, ma'am. The troops filed out, carrying an unconscious Max and headed down the hall, followed by Dralis. No one noticed the tiny cat man who had scampered around the corner. As soon as the hall was clear, he skidded down the hall, out of the building, and down a few blocks to safety. Back on Venus, Molly was sitting out in the garden reading some engineering book. Keen was still catching up with the Prime Minister on the other side of the garden. Slaughter was in her room covered in glitter. Molly's video phone beeped and a small gray cat man appeared. Fortress? Hey, oh, Molly. Well, you're a sight for... Well, you're a sight, anyway. To what do I owe the honor? Yes, oh, Molly. I'm El Paso. Well, that's a coincidence. So are Max and... Oh, I see. What's that supposed to mean? Do you have business in El Paso? Of course I do. I'm a very important man. Uh-huh. Say, have you seen Duralis lately? She happens to be in El Paso, too. Tease if you want me seen, but I'm calling because your stupid leader is in terrible danger and I thought I could help. What? Where are you? There isn't much time. Well, what's going on? There isn't much time. I can teleport to where you are, but you have to tell me where that is before I can do it. I'm magic, but I'm not psychic. In Flutwana at the Prime Minister's Palace. I'm in the garden. Hurry. Fred just clicked off his VP and started encanting something. <laughs> Within ten minutes, Molly and Furtis were across the garden. Molly made a hasty apology to the Prime Minister and grabbed Keen, dragging her toward the palace. Halfway across the garden, Keen got fed up and wrenched her arm free of Molly's grasp, stopping her in her tracks. Okay, Miss Drama Queen, now that you've sufficiently insulted the Prime Minister, who is not only the leader of this entire planet, but a close family friend of mine, what exactly is so important that you have to corral the herd together? Look, Sarah, I love you like a sister. I don't care what you feel about Max right now. He's in danger, and we have got to go save him before we no longer have a flashback. Can we put these differences aside for one minute while we go save our leader and best friend? Keen studied Molly for a minute and then picked up the pace and started running with her again toward the palace. The three of them quickly found themselves in Slaughter's room, pausing only momentarily to take in the sight of Jill, with glue in her hair and glitter up her nose, grinning from ear to ear. Oh, jeez, guys, can we not do this in my room? I told you I didn't want any part of it. No time, Slaughter. We have got to get going. Fertress, can you teleport us to El Paso? Yeah, in your dreams. Well, you teleported here, I just thought. I can't transport free humans who are collectively 30 times my weight! I'm magic, but I'm not Superman. Molly's VP started buzzing and beeping like crazy in her pocket. I'm getting an SOS from Dralis? It's a trap. We've got to hurry. There's no time. We're expending him on the way. It was about 10 o'clock in Washington, D.C., and Jimmy was just finishing his discussion with the Chief Justice about the next morning's proceedings. Thanks a lot. I think I'm ready. You look nervous, sir. Well, gosh, wouldn't you be? I'm sure I would be, sir. I wish I could get in touch with Max now. He'd reassure me. Max is doing his part to help people too, sir. He'll be here in the morning, as with all your friends. It's going to be a truly momentous occasion. May I respectfully advise that you get some rest, sir? Um, yes, 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 some sleep will do me good, if I can get any. Very good, sir. The Chief Justice hesitated. Um, what is it? (laughs) It's just... I don't know. Am I supposed to tuck you in or something? Look, leave the jokes till after I'm actually in office, hmm? <laughs> Of course, sir. Good night. <laughs> night, night. With that-
that, Jimmy Kovacs went off to bed with a restless night ahead of him, worrying about the first of so many important speeches he would make as President of the United States of America. Can the flashback save Max from the clutches of this new and extremely unorthodox villain? Has Dralis committed the ultimate betrayal? Will Jimmy's friends make it to his inauguration? Will they even make it out of El Paso alive? Tune in for the final action-packed season of Epic Echoes, the Backward series. In that episode of Epic Echoes, Guinevere Eckert was the narrator, Nicholas Roach was Max Thornfield, Devin White was Molly, Lynn Nelson was Slaughter, Tongwen Wong was Keen, Angela Tymon was Dralis, Scape White was Fertress, Daniel Schwartz was Jimmy Kovacs, Jordan D. White was the Troops, Scott Vinbo was the Prime Minister, and Elijah Weberhan was the Chief Justice. The theme song was by Michael Temporary Card Mikowski. Thank you very much, Rory. And that was our last, count them, last uh, show for the episode. Up next, we have the section of the show I like to call Listener Mail. I like to call it that because that's what it is. Uh, we did get three pieces of mail that I'd like to read out to you today. Uh, the first one, Scape, was to you. Oh, <laughs> I like getting mail. Yeah, uh, well, it's kind of to you. What do you mean? Well, uh, let me read it to you. It says, um... Dear Jerome, could it really be you? I have written letters to you so many times, but I never knew where to send them. And in honesty, I was never sure if I should send them. We never knew the true reason behind your disappearance. We assumed it was the accident, of course, but who knows? Maybe you wanted to leave us all along and found the perfect opportunity. So I dropped the search and had practically given up all hope of ever finding you again. But I happened upon this podcast that a colleague wanted me to listen to. And while it was sort of boringly playing in the background while I was doing my work, I heard you say your name and I was nearly reduced to tears. I can't be certain it is you because your voice is so different after the accident, but if it is really and truly you, I hope you'll get in touch with your family again. We have missed you so terribly. Sincerely, and with newly inflated hope, your brother, Leonard Scape. Dad! No, it's, I mean, it's to you. Uh, I mean, it's to Jerome Scape, but... Yeah, that's... Dad, I told you this would happen. Well, like, you were right. I told you! You said Mr. Scape, and this guy is like... Mr. Scape! Jerome! Jerome Scape! Well, actually, yeah, that, that kind of calls up a good point. Like, how did you know it was going to be Jerome? Well, Dad, it's just, it was, a, it was an example, but obviously I was right, there's a Jerome Scape, it's not me, it's some guy! But I'm saying, I mean, maybe you did get hit on the head or something, maybe you're just remembering, maybe you are Jerome Scape. Dad! I couldn't! Well, you could. Dad, I was like zero when you bought me. Well, maybe the accident turned you into a very small cat. That sounds really unlikely. Well, I, I mean, I guess it depends on what kind of accident it was. Well, I guess. Could be like a magic accident. Bro, Dad, no. Okay, look, I'm not Jerome Scape. I'm Scape White. He said it in the credits. I'm Scape White. There is no Jerome. You reddered Scape. There's no Jerome. Give it up. Wow. Uh, that's... Okay, that's a little harsh, but all right. Um, I do have another letter about you, actually, Scape, so maybe you would like to hear this one. It'll cheer you up. Better. Well, okay, here it is. It's it's actually to me. It says, uh, Dear Jordan, loved the insight into Scape's life that the most recent podcast offered. Would it be possible to offer a brief monologue or featurette from Scape as a regular feature in future episodes? It could easily replace Rory's segment, What a Blowhard. Sincerely, Matt Mercer. Excuse me? Hey, that's a pretty good idea. I could have a part of the show. Well, if you remember, Scape, I was originally going to have you do a part of the show. I was going to have you do the Pet Sounds, where 
where you get to sing a song, a, like a cover of a song or a real song or an original song every episode, but, you know, the equipment isn't really set up for it. Yeah, yeah, but I could do like a monologue. Or... Hello, no, it's, it's, I have a, a part of the show. It's my part of the show. You can't have my section. I do this day in history. I do where are they now in history, and it's an update, and it's always, no, it's mine, so you can't take it. No, I mean, that's true. I do really like your segment, and it does. it has an historical fact. It has a good moral value. Yes, exactly. So this Matt Mercer, I don't know who he is, but he's not a, a person I like. Uh, well, I'm okay. I don't think he wrote in to get you to like him. He's called you a blowhard. Yes, I know. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't. I'm not a blowhard. I just am a person who talks about things. You know, in kind of a blowhardy way. No, no, in a factual, extra historical way. Funny you should mention that. Actually, funny you should mention that. I do have uh, another letter addresses the extra historical aspect of the show. Um, so let me read that. Um, Dear sirs, I wanted to express my astonishment at some of the outrageous comments Mr. Frank Allen has been making about the discipline of extra history on your program. Frank has a very negative, skeptical attitude, and if he would just open himself up to the good that extra history can do, he would find himself truly enriched. Without alternate universes, where does Frank think all the morals of the world would come from? He needs to see that it is vital to have faith in the eternal truth of the source of the guidance we receive from alternate histories. I am shocked that you allow Frank to keep propagating his nonsense about needing hard evidence for the value of extra history. When the value is right before our eyes, Frank must realize that if we did not have the follies of our alternate selves from which to learn, we would have no morals on which to anchor our lives. Without the revelations of something like this day in history, we could do anything. We would have no sound reasoning for living a decent life of public service. I just hope that Frank can open his mind to the true moral good that extra history does, for the good of himself and of the listener. Gordon Congreve Stengel. Yes, and that's what I've been saying. Extra history benefit to society. Yes. Thank you, Gordon. Thank you. I applaud you and I applaud your your service that you've done to both myself and to the listeners and to the, the world at large. No, no, that's not, that's not, no. We would have, what do you, we, 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 how would we have morals? We, the morals exist before this day in history. I could tell you these morals before he does them. Well, then why didn't you? What do you mean, why? Because who knows what you're going to pick? I can just list a bunch of morals. I can list a bunch of good things that people should do. You just have a bit where you build up to them with a bunch of nonsense. The nonsense doesn't support the morals. The nonsense just gets in the way of the morals. The morals, in fact, I mean, like you heard that one. It, it Was it clear that that was about that you shouldn't eat meat that isn't cooked? No, it sounds more like it's about, you know, racism and stuff like that. Well, it had some it had some elements of that in it, but it was primarily about the way, the way you should cook meat. Yeah, it seemed pretty clear it was the meat thing, but I don't know, Frank. I mean, I don't know. He's making a point about that extra history is a good way to show us morality. No, he's not making a good anything. No. Rory's an idiot. Gordon's an idiot. Don't call the listeners idiots. I mean, here, we, we're, what we've done is we've had three people... You know, we had Leonard Scape and he yells at him. We had Mark Mercer and he says he doesn't like him. And now we have Gordon, whatever his last name is, and you're saying he's an idiot. Please, people, write in to castandwax at gmail.com to comment on the show. And I'll try to stop these jerks from, from insulting you. I personally think all of our listeners are great, um, except when I don't. But I don't say it on the podcast because that would be mean. Well, tell them to stop writing in stupid. Escape, don't say that. But obviously don't write anything in stupid. But we do want to hear your comments. Castandwax at gmail.com. Please give us a give us a buzz. Uh, you can hear the Waxwork theme O fading up in the background. Onlywaxwork.com, a little thing about the fact that did you know that the website is actually Jesus? Well, you, now you know. Enjoy and I'll be seeing you. All you atheists, this site can heal your disillusion. Add it to your list. 
mark your way to absolution Watch the counter rise One more to join our congregation Once I realize This website holds their soul salvation We're absolved of sin The moment that we type that address in Onlywaxwork.com Has seen red and serious Onlywaxwork.com Has got naughty bits